Welcome to the Write or Die show. I am your host, Randy Lee Bozloff. On today's episode, we're going to talk about something that is super important, and I don't think a lot of people know very much about it. We're going to be tackling some eating disorders, and our guest that's going to be sharing about her experiences with her eating disorders is Darylise Lyons. Welcome. So welcome, Darylise. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Randy Lee. I'm really glad to be here. This is great. Awesome. So we are just going to start with a quick who you are. Introduce us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm kind of known in in industry circles as the transformational storyteller um, because I believe that stories have the power to transform lives, how we tell our stories, um, the stories that we write and create. So my name is Dara Lee Lyons. I'm the author of, I think, 20 published books. Whoa, uh, really? Now, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm a journalist. I'm an activist. I'm a diversity advocate. And uh, I just believe fully in the transformational power of stories. Wow, 20 stories. So I have three. Darylise was so kind to send me three of her books, which I'll admit I have not read yet, but I am going to, once I do, check out my website because I will be putting a review on there for her. However, I have to say just from looking at the cover and like the back of it, I'm pretty interested in reading them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yes, right now they are on my bookshelf and they will be read very soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Just so you know, Randy Lee, I had nothing to do with the covers. I mean, I helped with the <laughs> with picking it out and stuff. But if I had to rely on my artistic ability, I would not, you know, I, I would never, <laughs> ever get anything published. So thank God for, um, That's for cover hilarious. designers. Yeah. And you didn't even have to admit that. And I would have never known the difference. So <laughs> very nice for you to admit that to everybody. Yeah. Um, so when did you start writing? If you've got 20 published books already, when was the first one? Yeah, so I'm 37 now and I started writing at age five, but I will say that I spent many years um, kind of pursuing career opportunities that were not right for me. And so it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I left a financial career and I really began writing full time. So I'd say I've been doing it um, professionally for the last like 10 years or so. Um, cool. which is, yeah, which is such a gift. That's like two books a year. Yeah. <laughs> well, wow. it, 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 yeah, I mean, it's funny, but, um, I think that people anticipate, right. That with writing, like you're supposed to be inspired or something, but that has not been my experience. I just write pretty much every day. And, um, and that has been, the only thing that's allowed me to be very productive and some days it might be 15 minutes and other days it might be several hours and, but yeah you know it's just become a practice and it's what I do so it's which is uh, great yeah yeah I love it yeah. I'm very that's great. a big question people always ask it's you know what is your writing routine and it's whenever I get to it I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I think I mean I like I definitely prioritize making time for writing However, I'm not one of those people. I think it was Stephen King who would write from nine to five every day or something. Like wow. he would have those office hours and he would write and maybe contemplate what he was writing. And I, I'm not that 
focused. So I just no, write either. every day for like chunks of time during the day at some point and somehow it comes together. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely couldn't do that. I mean, I have to, I write for a little bit that I'm like, okay, it's homework time with the kids. Right. And do that and then go back to writing or do an interview, <laughs> go do the dishes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How many kids do you have? So I have two teenagers and a grandbaby. Oh, I love it. See, I don't know how anyone gets anything done who ha- with children. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you manage all the things? So, yeah, yeah, it's that's a whole other show, I think. <laughs> so let's get back to you. Okay, sure. Because, yeah, that could take us down a rabbit hole. We're not going to go there. <laughs> so we are going to talk about anorexia and bulimia, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So first and foremost, I mean, I think a lot of people have heard those terms, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what they actually mean. So can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to say, just start off by saying that I'm in recovery from an eating disorder and, um, you know, so I'm not like a therapist. I am not clinically qualified to diagnose anybody. Um, however, my own experience of being anorexic, so anorexia, um, you know, has to do with food restriction or under eating, or sometimes, um, you know, people will not eat for significant periods of time, but it, it really looks different for everyone. And I think sometimes when we get into like medical categorizations, it really takes out a person's lived experience of what it is to to have an eating disorder. And so, um, and then bulimia is, you know, is um, when people purge their food in some form or fashion. So that could be through over-exercising, it could be through laxative abuse, it could be through um, purging with or without binging. Um, And that was, for, you know, me for many, many years, I've been both uh, anorexic and bulimic, but I think the bulk of my eating disorder time was spent binging and purging. And it was a very violent way to live and very self-abusing. Yes, definitely would be. With anorexia, now I, and this is obviously just an assumption from things that I've seen on TV for the most part, but Probably like most people, we think anorexia is not eating, but you mentioned under eating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the, um, like, you know, under what calorie limit you need to be in order to be uh, qualified to be an anorexic, but um, but yeah, I mean, if people don't eat at all, they would starve to death at some, Mm -hmm. at some point, right. The body can only go so long. And so most anorexics, myself included, when I was anorexic, um, you know, you eat a very, very little amount of calories or eat, you know, um, a fairly low amount of calories, but then exercise compulsively in order to kind of burn those calories off. So you're just living life at a constant deficit. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's really painful. I mean, I'm not sure, Randy Lee, if you're familiar, you talked about reading online, but there was in Minnesota during World War II, there's something called the starvation study where they put these, um, yeah, they took men who were conscientious war observers and who didn't want to be drafted, uh, volunteered for this study, this medical study, um, and they cut their calories in half um, for a six month period where these men just ate, you know, half of what would be considered a 
a healthy calorie range um, for themselves. And uh, the men, all of them went, had like serious mental and emotional problems as a result of this caloric deficit. Um, Many of them misperceived their bodies and started having a significant amount of body shame. Um, One of them actually went clinically insane and had to be taken out of the study. Yeah. And these were all people who were healthy prior to. So our bodies really need adequate nutrition and without it, there are serious detrimental effects. And so if someone's uh, has anorexia, you know, they're, they're struggling, even if they might be eating something every day or even, you know, like eating, I I think sometimes with like the intermittent fasting movements and different things that people do, um, you know, they're operating at a deficit and, and that can cause a lot of really painful consequences. And it doesn't take that long for us to start experiencing those things. So, you know, our bodies really are meant to be nourished. Yes. Yeah. That's, Wow, that study is very interesting. Yeah, it is. It's all it's really unnerving, actually. It is. <laughs> I, I think I gotta look that up now. Yeah. And the other thing that I found very interesting was when you were talking about bulimia. Now, again, just the preconceived notion that bulimia was you binged and then you purged, but the purge was always well, making yourself vomit. Yeah. But you talked about overexercise as a way of purging. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And there's a lot of that. It's, it's overwhelming. Um, you know, people who will maybe, you know, have a binge and then go on like a six mile run to burn it off or, um, or, you know, run or, or it doesn't always have to be running, but exercise, you know, um, when they're in pain and their bodies are, you know, like (laughs) screaming for rest, but they're exercising because they want to, um, burn off calories or get those endorphins or whatever, you know, I mean, that really we human beings are so inventive and so innovative. And so we can come up with some pretty constructive, you know, some pretty destructive, um, forms of coping and, um, yeah. So eating disorders don't always look like we might expect them to look. People are suffering with any of any, like age, um, weight, body size is not always an indication of whether or not a person has an eating disorder, people from all different demographics. I mean, I work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, um, you know, there are people from all genders, all races, all ages, all life experiences. People develop eating disorders who are from, you know, affluent families where everything looks really good on the outside. And people develop eating disorders who have a lot of trauma history or maybe have like our, um, uh, don't have economic means or whatever it is. Like it, it doesn't always look like we think it's going to look, it's really important that someone be able to kind of claim their pain for themselves and, and be honest about it and get help and support around it. And that's why I'm so glad that you're here on the show because we don't know what it looks like. And whatever I've seen on TV about it is the cut and dry. You're either not eating or you're purging in the bathroom. Right. But you just explained so much more. <laughs> and you're, like you said, you're not a doctor or anything, but because of that lived experience, you have so much to share, which is amazing that you are willing to share it with everybody. Yeah. So when did you discover that you had an eating disorder? Oh gosh. Well, I binged and purged for the first time at 14. And you know, oh, I young. knew that something was wrong about that. Like I don't think 
I, I mean, I don't know, maybe people have had the experience of binging and purging and thinking that it was normal, but it's such a violent thing. Like, it's just like, I kind of knew, okay, this is weird. <laughs> like This isn't, yeah. um, this is, there's something not quite right about this and yeah. I had a lot of shame around it, but, um, you know, early on, I, at least I had the illusion that I was controlling it. So early on, you know, maybe I would do it like once a month or every six weeks or just when I was experiencing a, like, you know, a significant emotional problem or whatever. And so it was very sporadic. And then over time, it became a more and more addictive and then habitual force in my life where I was just doing it all the time and and could not stop. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that it's really like any other addiction or compulsion, it takes on a life of its own. And then I realized that like, I wasn't choosing it anymore. It was sort of just happening. And it had taken control of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Did you hide it? Like, how did you hide it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I was ever very successful at hiding it. Um, (laughs) I was, because I was a very low bottom bulimic. I mean, I, at one point in my life, I would binge and purge 12 times a day. And um, yeah, I had a $300 food habit. So I would spend $300 a day on food that I was binging and purging. And so, you know, I don't know that, like, certainly anyone who lived with me, I feel so bad for my college roommates, but you know, certainly anyone (laughs) who lived with me kind of knew like, okay, something is up. Um, And the other thing is, is that I went to, um, I've been into in 16 different inpatient treatment facilities in the course of my life. So, um, so like that definitely makes people sit up and take notice like, oh, well, you're going away for two weeks again. Where are you going? And you're coming back without a tan and like, you know. Hey, to um, be fair, I go on vacation and don't tan because of the amount of sunscreen I put on. So it's possible. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it is. (laughs) possible. I went on a lot of vacations though and did not have a lot of like photographic evidence. Okay. Well, yeah, that one's harder to get by. Right. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I think I was probably not, I, I was, thankfully I was never a very functioning person with an eating disorder and that's been a real gift in my life, because I think many people sort of can function and, you know, maybe yeah. they binge purge a couple of times a week or a month or whatever, and they kind of live their life that way. But for me, I was either just in my disease or I, I've been in recovery. I've never really been a functional person with an eating disorder. Okay. And how long was it before, say, like your parents or whoever took notice right? Cause you started at 14. So yeah, I'm, assuming, right. I'm assuming you lived at home still. I did. I did. I would have to ask my mom about that. I mean, I knew, I think she knew fairly quickly after it started, um, maybe within a few months or a few episodes, like she knew that there was something fundamentally different about her okay. daughter. Um, but I don't know if she completely knew the extent of it or really got what I was doing until I was maybe 16 or 17. But we, but I, I remember, you know, I think also people who don't have this problem think that consequences are going to be enough to stop. Right. Like, okay. Yeah. So I remember one time when I was 14 years old, I had, um, I had taken, uh, some diet pills. I had OD'd on diet pills and I was having, I was like shaking and I was having 
um, really bad physical reactions. And my mom called poison control and they told her I needed to eat a piece of bread because it would like stop, stop up somehow the, the, the oh, diet pill okay. and it would like calm the energy down. Yeah. And I remember just like, I just started to cry and cry and cry because I couldn't bring myself to eat a piece of bread because in my head, it was like too scary. <laughs> I thought like yeah. if my choices are dying or getting fat, you know, that was how I thought of it at the time. Yeah. I'm eating a slice of bread. Um, you know, like then I'd rather die. And I just remember losing it. And I was like crying and crying and crying. And I just slumped down on the floor and my mom like sat up with me all night and she was just like oh. pleading with me, you know, to stop this behavior. And I think, you know, after something like that, a person without an eating disorder is like, okay, that's a wake up call. I got to stop yeah. this behavior. But for me, like, it's like any other addiction. It wasn't a wake up call. So she thought, oh, okay. Like Dara's had this really bad episode. She's promising me she's not going to do this anymore. And I meant every time I promised, I meant it, you know, it's yeah. like I, I meant <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't realize it was a mental illness. Um, and so, you know, so something like that would happen and she'd be like, okay, good. Like Dara woke up, you know, she's, she's got it. She's not going to do this anymore. Yeah. And, um, but then I would, and then it would be, you know, the next, the next thing. And she, she was so wonderful. You know, she took me to see eating disorder therapists. She would take me to different treatment facilities. And, and, um, and I just, I just like, couldn't get it. And I, and I couldn't get better. And I just like, I lied about it a lot. And so, so I, you know, I don't know. I think it was, it was very, very hard. And she would try, she would try to like plead with me and she would, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. incentivize me like oh maybe I'll you know I'll buy you this if you can go yeah. like all the parent tricks yeah all the parent tricks and none of them worked and actually um at 17 I moved out of my house primarily because I was fighting with my mom all the time because she wanted me to stop binging and purging and I just couldn't yeah. and didn't want to and it was causing all these problems and so the reason I moved out of my house at 17 was so that I could keep the bulimia going and um wow. and I did that and so, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know that anyone would have been able to stop. It, it's, yeah, again, like it's like any other addiction. It just, it yeah. takes a person coming to a sense of realization of like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And I'm powerless mm-hmm. over this cycle. And I need, I need help. You know, yeah. I need significant help. Right. So you've talked about going in and out of various recovery and treatment places. Yeah. When was the one that really, stuck oh I okay so this is probably going to be a horrible admission but even after I I got out of my last treatment facility in 2009 the end of 2009 but I still relapsed after that I'd been in treatment for nine months um and I got out and like within a month I had relapsed again and so I learned invaluable skills in treatment. I learned so many great skills and great tools and, but it really, you know, it really took me um, just recognizing within myself that this is something I'm going to have for the rest of my life and that I need to, you know, continue daily (laughs) practices and I need a a spiritual discipline. Like I need something outside of myself that's going to help me with this. And so it really took that. It took getting into yoga, getting into um, like deep spiritual practices, having a network of support. So it, Mm -hmm. 
like, I wish I could say, oh yeah, I went to treatment and I was cured and everything was good. <laughs> but, but the truth is, is that I, you know, I think that I'm a, the same wiring that made me think that it's a, that it was a good idea to binge and purge. Like that's sort of, that's my wiring. Like it doesn't, yeah. doesn't magically change because I went into treatment or whatever, but I found new ways to kind of turn that into creative outlets or helping people or work like yeah. doing service work or those kinds of things so that I no longer kind of get caught in that self-destructive loop, but I don't, but I'm still the same person. If I'm not oh, sure yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense to me. Hopefully it makes sense to everybody else who's listening. Right, right. right. So like there, there's no cure. I don't believe there's like a cure necessarily, but it is yeah. possible to be in recovery. It is possible to like fully recover from mm-hmm. an eating disorder. But if there's not a maintenance of that sort of like, yeah, self-care, or whatever yeah. it is, just like any practice. mental health, right? Yes. That's yes. just it. People need to realize that an eating disorder is under that big, broad category of mental health. Right. I think the hard thing is, I remember I interviewed someone who's a fat activist for season one of, I do a podcast called the Demystifying Diversity Podcast. And I interviewed this young woman and she said, you know, like people don't expect anxiety to look a certain way and they don't expect depression to look a certain way. And so why do we expect eating disorders to look a certain way? You know, mental health issues are not diagnosable from how someone shows up to us. It's how they experience themselves. And that has really stuck with me. And so I think about that a lot. Like, I don't know what's going on for anyone except just what they tell me. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. So you talked about when you came out of the last treatment facility, right? And you relapsed, which was, you know, a part of the process. However, you said though, that you gained a lot of knowledge and insight and coping. Yes. What kind of coping skills did you learn while you were there? Yeah, great. Um, So, you know, between like the thousand hours of therapy at all the different treatment facilities, I think one of the things I learned, and it was so funny because at the very beginning of the interview, you said, you know, thank you for being honest, right? When I was, when I said something about the the cover and I just thought, well, I have to be honest because I'm not a person who can have secrets. And sometimes that gets me into trouble because I'll overshare and people are like, okay, Daryl's like, you know, like, simmer down, you know? Um, but yeah, so I really learned that no one's going to be able to help me if I'm not honest with what's going on with me, with what's going on in my head, with what's going on in my behaviors. And so that was probably one of the biggest things that I learned in treatment was you're only as sick as your secrets. And so even, I mean, it probably took me maybe three or four inpatient hospitalizations to get that. But once I did, I stopped, you know, I just stopped lying about what I was doing. And so then I felt like people could help me sooner, or at least I could understand like, oh my gosh, I'm caught in this cycle again. And I'm fully aware of what I'm doing and I'm talking about it. And so the honesty was a big thing. I think um, something else that I really learned in treatment is that I'm a person who is always going to need a certain level of self-care in my life. Like I'm not, I used to work in finance and I worked for a hedge fund and we worked from like seven in the morning till seven at night. And then you were always on call. Like it was just, it was just a lot. And that's a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. And for some people that's great and they thrive on that and it like Mm. feeds them. For me, it eats away at me to be too like 
hyper, I'm, and I tend to be a workaholic. So I really need to kind of check myself with that. Um, and so I learned that about myself in treatment. I learned that I need to feed myself what I'm really hungry for, like on a soul level. And so that was mm-hmm. part of making the transition from working in finance to being a create a creative person. I had to learn to like sit with my feelings, how to um, be real and vulnerable. Cause I didn't know how to do that. Like there were just so many things that I needed to learn how to do. Also for me personally, and this is not true of everyone with an eating disorder, but just for me, there are certain things that like, if I eat them, they really trigger me oh, okay. to, like, mentally, you know, what kind of things. So, um, for me, it tends to be a lot of the things that I would binge and purge on. And that doesn't mean I don't eat anything that I would binge and purge yeah. on, but like, I don't have ice cream in my freezer, you know, mm-hmm. and just certain things like that, that it's sort of like, I just, uh, you, like, there's just, yeah, I, I, don't I, I totally understand in my freezer. that. <laughs> yeah, I understand that if it's there, I eat all of it. So yeah, I, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I tell my mom jokingly but not 100% jokingly that she's a snack pusher um she's finally stopped bringing so many snacks over but if say she brought a bag of chips I don't just eat one bowl I eat all of it yes yeah so like if I want a treat if I want snacks right I'll go and I'll buy like the small bag because then I can eat the whole bag because it's portion size still ready (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah, that's true. And you know, it's funny because like, I think you know that about yourself. And so you can insert certain limits and parameters and like live within those. And someone like me, like I can have all that knowledge and still not, not be capable of like, okay, so I'll buy the one bag, but then after that, I'm going to buy the second and the third and the fourth and the seventh. And the, so, um, yeah. So just sort of like acknowledging my own humanness and the areas of my life that mm-hmm. I really need, um, support and, and like now, you know, it, it's been a long time and I have a lot of freedom that I didn't have right when I, um, entered into recovery for real, but I certainly do, you know, I certainly do need to take a level of care of myself that other people might not have to. Wow, so many interesting and valuable lessons that you've learned and that you've shared with everybody. Um, unfortunately, we're coming close to time. Oh, yeah. I know, I can't believe that it's already almost been half an hour, but maybe we'll have to have you, not maybe, we'll definitely have to have you come back on the show because I feel like we've only just started to scratch the surface of what eating disorders are about and coping and things like that. But what is something that you would tell somebody who is listening right now, who is dealing, maybe they don't even know that they have an eating disorder. Maybe they just feel like you did at the beginning, right? Where it was just, something's wrong. Like this, this can't be right. What would you tell somebody? Yeah. Well, so I guess I would expand it beyond just people with eating disorders, but just, you know, anyone in general who's dealing with any sort of mental health issue or behavioral issue you know, I think there's generally a a voice inside of us that says like, I don't want to keep living this way. Right. And so if there's something in your life that some part of you is saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live this way, but I can't stop again, whether it be with food, whether it be with alcohol, whether it be with smoking cigarettes, whether it be with, uh, you, you know, just terrible depression, whatever, whatever it is, if your heart, if your soul is saying, I don't want to 
live this way, but I can't stop. I highly encourage you to seek answers and seek answers outside your own mind, because my mind is the source of my greatest pain. (laughs) And so, you know, whether those be spiritual answers or, or, you know, getting a fair, a great therapist or going to a 12 step group or whatever it is, like there is something that you're calling out for. And I think if you've been trying to solve this problem, just on your own with your own mental resources, and it's not working, seek something outside of yourself that can help you that, and, and someone that you can trust to really be vulnerable and authentic with. Um, And if it doesn't, you know, if, if you go to one person and they're, they don't get it, don't stop, you know, find someone else, go to someone else, right? I love that you say that. I love that you say that. I just did an interview yesterday with somebody and they were talking about how they found a great therapist. And I said the exact same thing you did. If the first one does not work out, go find another or another or another or another. Just keep going until you find the one that clicks. Absolutely. I think therapy is a little like dating. Like you you find love on that first try and it's great. And then other times like you just got to keep bumbling, you know, like literally. (laughs) That's fantastic. I'm going to use that analogy from now on. Therapy's like dating. Uh, Excellent advice. Thank you. We're totally on the same wavelength there. That's great. So where can people find your books? And is there one you want to highlight? Uh, so I would say if they go to my website, daraleeslyons.com, and that's D-A-R-A-L-Y-S-E-L-Y-O-N-S.com, they can find everything there is to find uh, about me. So they can find my books, which they can purchase through Amazon. They can find articles that I've written, which are free. They can find links to my podcasts, you know, anything. And there's also ways to contact me through the site or ways to engage on social media. So I would say go to daraleeslyons.com and I would love to hear from you uh, and or if there's anything I can do to enrich your life through my work. Um, it's my honor and my pleasure. Wonderful. And what is the name of your podcast in case anybody wants to listen? Sure. So there's two that I have. There's uh, the first one I did was the Transformational Storyteller podcast, which includes single stories of, um, of individuals. And that one's really powerful. And then the more recent podcast, which is my own personal baby with my business partner, partners, uh, Anna Marie Jones and Zach James is called the demystifying diversity podcast. So if you check out the demystifying diversity podcast, um, that would be great. There's also a website for that, uh, demystifying diversity podcast.com. And you can find all our episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Awesome. And I'm assuming, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that. Oh yeah. All the, yeah. All the things, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, all, all the things um, there's links available on either website. And so I wonderful. Yes. So give Darylise a follow on anything it is that you use um, as well. Check out her website, check out some of those books. Again, my review will be coming soon and I will send it out to you. Um, thank you so, so much for being on the show and sharing honestly, just like <laughs> you say you have to, because we got to be honest. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Randy Lee. It was a really wonderful experience. I hope everybody enjoyed the show and learned something. And just like Daryl was saying, we have to be honest with ourselves. 
because what we're not, what we're lying to ourselves, all we're doing is lying to ourselves. And that's not going to help us get better. That's not going to help us overcome our mental health. And of course, the only way to end the stigma with mental health is to speak openly and honestly. So hit that like and subscribe button down below. Check out Darylise's links that are also in the description down below and give us a thumbs up and see you on the next episode.